Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. We've been away for a while. Um, we've had we've had some holidays. We've had some work issues, but we're back now, and we're not only back. We've got an injection of new blood in the podcast as well. Um, understand you'll probably be you know, you'll probably be tired of hearing of me and Richard. So to refresh a tired format, as well as in t- trying to entice back some of you people who've probably tuned out due to Richard's Spotify pettiness. We have signed on a free transfer from the Red Final, one of the hottest agents, hottest free agents in Scottish football fan media. So we're welcoming our, not only our guest of this week, but now a regular contributor to the podcast, Martin Ingram. How are you doing, Martin? I'm doing great, thanks. I was, I was trying to work out who you could possibly be talking about with that, with that, with that front billing. I was like, oh, you mean me? Um, yeah, so um, glad, glad to be officially joining the team, I guess. Um, I'm assuming that a photographer has been booked for the compulsory photo opportunity outside Pataudry holding a here we go scarf aloft um, and uh, we'll we'll see where we go from there. We've got someone's granny knitting the sofa as it's sofa and the scarf as it speaks even. <laughs> I'll, I'll be happy to sit on a sofa while doing it that's that's fine <laughs> as well. Uh, see that's the first fuck up of the week I've got gotten, gotten out of the way early that's okay. Um, <laughs> And of course, as always, is Richard Hayes here. How are you doing, Richard? Doing well. Evening, everybody. Have you enjoyed, have you enjoyed the, the the absence of doing, doing no podcast for a few weeks? It's been fairly refreshing in a way. It's not been, I wouldn't say it's been deliberate as such. Um, it felt like we've been in a bit of a holding pattern, though, obviously with the manager situation. And I'm not sure we're really too much further forward as a result of today's news. But hey, we'll come to that, won't we? We will, we'll. we'll. Let's get right into it now. Um, the big news today um, is that the club announced Barry Robson and Agu um, are going to be appointed until the end of the season. Um, now, Martin, uh, there's obviously been a lot of talk. We've been linked with what seems to be every Scandinavian person under the sun that's ever coached a team. Uh, there's been talk of um, some interviews. Um, there was, I think, they said that they'd interviewed uh, three people, including. Um, including Barry Robson in the within the last week, um, the football monitoring board. That course that is, um, and they've decided to stick with Barry Robson. Uh, firstly, what's your thoughts on that, um, and are are you are you happy with this decision? It's interesting because I'm I'm happy with the eventual decision, but the way that it came about, I think, was not the way that I anticipated it happening. So I think. The last time that 
you invited me on the podcast, and I think I was asked about the possibility of Barry Robson continuing to the end of the season, um, and I was very supportive of that. That just you know, as long as long as as long as we were showing that we were kind of you know performing, and there's clearly obviously you know obviously been an improvement in the team's performance since Barry Robson's come in. I think with the understandable exception of the home game against St Mirren, where we've got ascending off in about the first 10 minutes and things kind of descended from there. But since then, not just the results, but you can clearly tell there's a, a completely different, uh, or at least from the outside, there seems to be a completely different spirit within the club amongst the players that had clearly reached uh, a point of no return in the last week or so under, under Jin Goodwin's tenure but at, at the time that um, I was asked about that I was thinking that basically we would uh, we would formally keep Barry Robson on until the end of the season and that that would allow a process where because I don't think Alan Burrows was in place at the time that we last spoke so what I thought would happen is we would maybe get that, those types of people in um Potentially, I, I, I think I said it, maybe, maybe even a, a looking at a change to the, to the structure and the, the sporting side of operations, and then allow that process to go through the candidacy um, for a, a, a full-time appointment. But what's obviously been made clear in, this, in, in the statement from the club today is that we've actually gone through that process. So what surprised me is that having gone through a process where we've the, the, you know, there's been a half a dozen people identified. There's been first and second interview stages, and having gone through all of that, they've now returned to the idea of Barry Robson and um, his backroom staff stay on to the end of the season. And that's actually quite surprised me because if you've gone through that process, and again, we 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 we. we it seems the term football monitoring board is going to be sticking with us for the foreseeable future now. If the if the football monitoring board has observed the cred the credentials of those half dozen people um, and had a look at it, and if if from that they then decided Barry Robson for was the best person for the job, would you not then just appoint him on a, on a permanent basis and go ahead? going forward that it, it kind of smacks to me as a bit of a halfway house there where you're saying you know are you then saying that other candidates weren't persuasive enough to to convince you to go ahead and appoint them on a full-term basis and where does that leave barry robson afterwards if if he gets to the end of the season then they decide to go elsewhere um it's almost like you know are you, are you going to be happy if one of the if the person who eventually then gets the job after the summer is one of the people that was amongst this kind of half a dozen or the final three people that was interviewed then, and you're suddenly in a situation where you're being asked to go back into a job well, well, somebody that you probably think you're actually better at doing the job at comes in over the summer. So um, it was Barry Robson being in charge until the end of the season was what I expected, but I hadn't actually expected us to have gone through the, the recruitment process. And then after that decided, you know, we're, we're, we're going to st actually stay in that holding pattern. So, so, I guess and the no from me. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Martin. It's um, it's a fudge, but it's an acceptable fudge. Um, I, I think we need to acknowledge the progress that has happened since we last spoke to you, which obviously was about six years ago. But um, <laughs> progress has been made in areas of the structure around the club. 
So we hope that Dave Cormack would um, relinquish a bit of control, get a proper chief executive in place to um, run this decision. Now, um, the name Alan Burrows has been mentioned by a lot of us, I think Martin included, uh, a populist choice. Dave Cormack likes populist choices, so um, obviously I think he gets on well with them personally. Um, there's a sort of long Twitter history between the two of them, and that's only what we can see public. Who knows what's going on to the DMs? Uh, you know, this is not a podcast that will be sliding into Alan Burrows' DMs, I can assure you of that. Um so yeah, it is a bit of a weird fudge, though, that, that this manager's situation, for the reason that Martin have, has outlined. But I think our job as fans right now is probably just to try and support Barry as if he's been appointed the permanent full-time manager. Um, I think it would be disingenuous for us to do anything other than that and to give him anything other than our full backing, because he has done pretty well. Uh, about as well as could be accepted. I mean, if you look at his six games in charts, the Samoan game, he was a victim of circumstance there, really. Um, losing Ross McCurry so early. The defeat at Parkhead was no surprise. It, it, it was a bit of a one-sided shellacking. Um, the victory at Dungeon United wasn't without its nervous moments. And again, I think we're maybe a bit fortunate that we didn't come up against some of the other teams in the league that night because I think we could easily have been couple of goals down before we started playing that evening and ended up winning that match but the three home games they've been really solid um, uh, and they've been increasingly confident um, in the nature of how, how we've done it. Motherwell were on the bones of their ass when they come up here but a Livingston victory was really hard fought really ground out which is a really good sign I think for this team because it seemed a team incapable of doing that under the previous two managers um, and yeah, we all want pretty football, but we have to realise that you're not going to be able to get to that place without a really solid foundation in place. And I think that's, again, been the key fail- failing of the last two managers, just the, the unwillingness to do the dirty work before you can get and put the pretty stuff on top of that foundation. So he's done really well, culminating obviously in that Hearts game. But that first 45 minutes against Hearts was as good as I've seen from an adding performance in a number of years. That midfield three of Ramadani, Clarkson and Shinny, absolutely energised by Graham Shinney, just covered every yard and were first to every single ball. Just overwhelmed hearts, absolutely overwhelmed them. And giving me real hope that we can we can go and chase them down in the third place. Um, generally speaking, I'd be against caretaker managers getting a job like this and I think you fall into appointing a caretaker manager in a lot of ways but if you think about where we are now with the club and the fact that we've got this football strategy and how that's meant to work throughout the club at every rank all the coaches in the building should be singing from the same hymn sheet so appointing a caretaker in that situation should feel less of an issue less of a um, less of a seismic shift and it's kind of how it really almost should work if you look at for example I know the club have looked heavily at the way Brentford set up that's exactly almost where Thomas Frank came from he came in to manage the B team and then was promoted when less uh, Brentford lost their previous manager so again I don't see it as so much of a barrier maybe as I would have done five ten years ago under a different structure um, Let's look a little bit further forward to the end of the season. I mean, finishes third, he's going to get this job. No question about it. 
We're four points off third. It's doable. It's achievable. However, we're saying we're only four points off third, and the very fact that we're looking up the table is actually quite amazing from the position you took us over in. But we are still only three points off the bottom six. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we could end up in four games, four games time quite feasibly in that bottom six. And I think that Barry would be kissing um, goodbye to any hope of the job if he finishes, but if he's in that bottom six. So third absolutely gets in the job. I don't think sixth would get in the job permanently. The tricky position is fourth or fifth. I think from the position he inherited, I, I think that would still be a really, really good outcome. Would it be good enough to get in this role after only, what, 12, 15 games as a first-team manager? That's a different question. Well, yeah, there was, it was obviously mentioned in the club statement today um, about, you know, about aiming, for, aiming for European football, Richard. Um, so if he, if he gets European football, I mean, we, we mentioned, obviously, there was the other candidates that were interviewed as well. Um, it's been done within the last week, so it's been done during a point where there's been, you know, an international break. Um, you know, we can only speculate that perhaps maybe one or two of them are already in post somewhere else um, and perhaps will be available at the end of the season, which, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't look, you know, that doesn't look great for Barry Robson, I suppose, in terms of, you know, this person isn't available now, so we're going to offer you it. But as you say, if he gets third, it's his job. Um, what's what's the is is third is third the the only way you would consider it? What's the bare minimum you think you reckon he can do? No, no, I'm not saying get... third. I'm not saying third is the only way I would consider him. I'm saying third, no, that's what I'm saying. I say what's the bare what's the guarantee, but... what's the what's the, what next comes down from that that you would say? Well, I'm saying, would... That's why I'm asking the question. You know, fourth or fifth, I think it's in the balance genuinely. Although yeah. I still think it's a good outcome from where he inherited. I think yeah. if he finishes sixth, for example, or lower than sixth, obviously, I don't think he gets his job full time. It's, it's, not, it... it's those fourth and fifth positions and we're assuming obviously the fifth gets Europe in this scenario which it is likely to do given the way the Scottish Cup is playing out yeah. I, I, I think it's a toss up and I think it'll be a then it might come down to question the style you know how have you performed at Tynecastle for example after the split how have you performed at Ibrox those sort of, those sort of question marks I mean, Martin, does it does it depend on if there's another out, you know, another outstanding candidate? If if he does say finish fourth, fourth or fifth, but it, but it's, it gets us to Europe, um, would it? Would do you think he he would still get it, or would it? Would they look and look at perhaps someone else? Yeah, I I think it will always depend on what the marketplace looks like for managerial candidates, and I think. Um, this is no means went, meant to denigrate Barry Robson's current standing, but I am sure an element of the reason they've come to this decision is having had a look at the candidates that they were already shortlisting. If they were bowled over by a phenomenal candidate that they viably saw leading us forward for the next few years, I think they would have they would have gone for that. They and the club has had a track record of certainly with their previous I mean, okay, it wasn't really planned when Jim Goodwin came in, but with Stephen Glass and, and Derek McInnes before them, it was very much the modus operandi of the club to try and bring a manager in for the last, you know, or for the post split fixtures, get an opportunity to look at the players and the team and then have a 
a, a, a summer transfer window to start building the club. So I think if there was an outstanding candidate beyond Barry Robson who had made themselves, themselves available, I think that would have been the decision. It, it clearly wasn't. But the fact that they haven't gone ahead and appointed Barry Robson on a full-time basis either means that I suspect this is more an, an, an option of buying further time. Um, it makes a lot of sense in one way in that, again, if Barry Robson goes on to really stake a claim, I think unarguably if, if we go on to third place and secure guaranteed group stage football in Europe next season, then um, we can afford to to... to take that step and you know based on the evidence of obviously someone who's doing really well with 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 the coaching with 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 the players and then hopefully then with the structure which is in place you can then go on and see if we can identify some um better caliber players to support what they're doing already but um it has to be dependent on who's available um if there if there is an outstanding i mean even if Barry Robson, I, I think third place does it. But as you say, if, if you're in that kind of fourth, fifth place scenario, um, I think it will depend on what the other options are because um, uh, there's no point getting in uh, an equivalent or lesser manager just for the hell of it if you've got somebody who's clearly not only performing well in a job, but there's, there seems to be, again, looking from the outside in, um, a, a clear team spirit within that group of players and a group of players that are clearly wanting to play for the manager in a way that they didn't with 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 um the previous manager so time time will tell on that but um yeah um i'm surprised how how the how we've ended up at the situation of barry robson continuing on an interim basis but i'm i'm perfectly satisfied with him taking this forward for the for the foreseeable and um should we end up having had a successful season and um, I think certainly third or third third place or getting Europe would be deemed successful given where where he had to pick the club up from. Then he's at the very minimum put his put his hat in the ring to be considered going forward. Whilst I agree with you, I think that, that there is an element of um, having gone to marketplace and not really uh, being blown away by the pot- potential candidates that were on offer there. And things, of course, can change the longer this process goes on. Things can change very quickly. Um, you know, Spurs right now are looking at a situation, for example, where uh, N- Nagelsmann might be available for them, which wouldn't have been thought a possibility f- uh, four weeks ago. It's just, you know, these things, these um, vacancies and these openings can, can come up very, very quickly. But th- there's also an acknowledgement, I think, from the club that there is something now this season that is achievable and gettable and that upsetting the apple cart right now with Robson and with the relationship that he's built with these players that that is actually also something that they maybe shouldn't upset right now that you know the last couple of seasons it was felt rightly or wrongly I think you know perhaps wrongly because I think there was still something achievable in both of those seasons it was felt that the um, what was on the table to left to achieve in those seasons was um, was smaller than the greater good of getting a new manager in who could assess the squad and look towards next season. I wonder if they've maybe learnt a lesson a little bit from those last two seasons. Just one one further thing I wanted to add in in the discussion about what would be an acceptable end of season outcome, and. Another thing I would factor in Barry Robson's favour is we're talking about whether, you know, again, I think it would have to be European football. But if if we get in that kind of fourth, fifth place, it's worth bearing in mind that 
you're not judging Barry Robson over the entirety of a season. You're judging him and what he's managed to achieve from what he inherited. And what he inherited was a team that was in the bottom half of the table um, with a group of players where the morale seemed to be at completely rock bottom. So I think it is worth bearing that in mind as well is that um, finishing fourth or fifth if you'd had the reins for the entirety of the of the of the league campaign is one thing, but I think if he manages to secure us European football from a position where it looked anything but likely, I think that would have to fall in in the credit bank for him as well. I completely agree that when he came in, and particularly after he lost that St. Mirren game, I say he we lost that St. Mirren game. Um, the lead up to that Motherwell match, I was not thinking oh, European football at the end of the season. I was thinking, we lose against Motherwell, we're right in a relegation scrap because it looked at the way that that team was heading and it looked the way, the sort of mess that had been left after that last week of Jim Goodwin's reign. But equally, this is still a squad which has had a lot of money by the standards of most SPFL clubs spent on it. And it's a, uh, a squad and a side that should be up the top end of a table and you talk about inheriting a bottom six team and he did we were seventh when he came in uh, in the table and morale and confidence obviously on the floor but it was still a squad of players who had shone at points during this season and I think it was just about setting a stronger foundation for the better flair players that we have on the pitch to be able to flourish a bit more and be able to go after teams with a with a strong base and I think that's something something that Robson recognised very early on he recognised the sort of players that he'd want to bring in at the back as well and I think more most importantly in terms of changes he has made on the park that's been the most significant one for me is just the way in which we defend the way in which we even have the ball with our defenders we're not asking our defenders to be the start of attacks we're not asking our defenders to be comfortable on the ball or stroll at the pitch. We're asking our defenders to quite simply defend. And we'll ask our creative midfielders and our forwards to be the people that will unlock the opposition's defence. It's quite an old uh, school approach to football, but it appears to be good enough to win <laughs> four games out of six so far. Well, Martin Richard obviously identifies that you know he, he brought in brought in the types of players he, he obviously likes to likes to see. Um, Angus McDonald has formed a pretty decent partnership with Matty Pollock. Um, now we're going to be doing we're no not just us every every Aberdeen every Scottish football podcast is going to be ripping the arse out of this for years to come. So was fixing the defence easy to do? Um. I'm going to start with a, a terrible joke and say that if, even if the defence is, isn't is easy to fix right now, we've done a very good job by bringing in the Secretary of State for Defence into our backroom team. So that will obviously be another step towards helping us out in that. Um, I, I, I would I would say that it, it, has it been easy to fix the defence? I think we all know that will be ultimately judged on a far longer timescale than half a dozen games. But the one thing that was immediately obvious is that, and again, I don't know to what extent uh, Robson and Aggie were in, involved in, in, in the recruiting. I think there was heavy involvement in relation to the, the, the type of player or maybe even the specific players that they wanted to bring in. But it's no accident that while in midfield and up front, 
it's basically so the mid, the midfield are the same players which were available beforehand, but the 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 way that the the midfield has been set up and the structure of the team has been adjusted to address that. Whereas for the central defence, it was clear clear out the captain and bring in two brand new players in order to to sort that out. So there was there was clearly an aspect of um, the the fundamental recruitment. And again, there's a there's a mirror it's not it's not apples and apples but there's a mirror to where we were with Stephen Glass beforehand where if you start by picking your captain as a player who on the basis of their performances can't actually justify their place in the team in the first place it it just impacts upon the whole team because if you if you can't have faith in the ability of your of your leader to take charge then it just leads to an instability and an uncertainty throughout the rest of the team. So I think, I don't want to denigrate Anthony Stewart too much because I think at the very least he had an instinct to defend and he wanted to defend, but he was potentially being asked to do progressive um, things in defence that perhaps didn't suit his, 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 his style. I don't think athletically he was at the, the right level anymore to you know, a clear clear lack of pace and mobility that that, that that shown up. And I think Goodwin was hoping that attributes of other people that he brought in, like, uh, you know, the more athletic Jalen Richardson or, or better footballers like Hayden Coulson would have all balanced themselves out. And, and unfortunately, it kind of worked in the opposite way in that um, there were there were individual weaknesses that could be exposed at various different places within within the defence and, and, and it all kind of suffered as a consequence. So... In, in, in terms of the immediate fix, if we're calling this the easy fix, bring in two good defenders, um, defending first players as well. And I think it was really clear when you saw um, the most recent game, the, the, the Hearts game, um, you had a situation like where um, was it Robert Snodgrass's opportunity where he's driving in from midfield. And I think it was Angus McDonald basically just is covering pace for pace with him and does enough puts enough pressure on him that he, he he's not able to get his shot on target. Um, and then with Matty Pollock, you know, a big imposing young guy, athletic, but also with a good bit of footballing ability. But at the end of the day, they both clearly want to defend or defend first defenders. And as importantly, I think Barry Robson wants him to defend first as well. There's a lot less of the um, trying to play out from the back. And, and again, that might sound bad in one way in that we all want us to be playing attractive football but I think we know playing attractive football doesn't necessarily mean you just have to pass it about amongst your central defenders in the six yard yeah. box for for 30 seconds before you try and do anything with it sometimes it just means get you know move move the ball up the park um, have your defenders defend have your midfielders assert dominance in midfield and then provide the platform for your strikers to go forward so um he he identified the the problems in defense we've, we've got in players that are that clearly look at in in, in 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 at the moment to to fit the bill um angus mcdonald i think i'd be absolutely delighted um for for him to be the the cornerstone or defense going forward and I don't know the situation, Matty Pollock. He, he already strikes me as a player that I think um, we, we we may well be having to do these subtweets. I think I've seen him already. These subtweets of uh, what a terrible defender Matty Pollock is to Watford fans, just to try and put them off the scent. But um, I can't imagine that um, he wouldn't be back and in, involved in the Watford setup, um, un- unless for example, I mean, it's funnily enough, he's probably directly competing with Ryan Porteous now in relation to future future starting roles at Watford. So kind of kind of weird that that's the situation we're at but um um if 
yeah, I'd be more than happy signing up Angus McDonald long term if we could keep Matty Pollock to be alongside him going forward, all, all the better. And um, we'll take him there. But uh, yeah, um, six weeks in, let's not let's not uh, count our chickens before they're hatched. And yeah, there's no there's there's no need to rush to a decision on Angus McDonald yet. Again, we can wait till the end of the season and see how the the land lies at the end of the season. You know, if uh, I think it's unlikely we're about to be gazumped by an English League One club in that scenario, and he seems to enjoy being up here. I think there might be issues around his uh, his family. Obviously, uh, I think he's got a partner who's pregnant at the moment, so all these things. Uh, sort of add into the mix and complicate things. I've got to point out, by the way, Martin, uh, a reference to the Conservative MP for North Somerset. That's why we brought you on to uh, this show. Uh, the target audience that we're hitting with that one, wow. Um, and that's obviously in reference to the former Dundee United manager, Liam Fox, who's uh, potentially joining uh, Barry Robson's uh, backroom team. And that's actually, let's just mention that, because again, around the time of... Goodwin sacking of everything going absolutely to shit. I suppose uh, I was spitballing stuff about, you know, the sort of things that I think we need to do. And I think the lack of coaches is something that I felt we were getting left behind in. I, th- I felt the, the Goodwin Sharp partnership was almost, again, quite old school. Just a guy bringing his mate who he's worked with for his last few jobs. And it was almost a reversion to the McInnes Doherty style as opposed to what had been attempted under glass with that kind of squad of coaches and that's definitely a more modern way to do it to bring guys in who um, maybe have been identified and Liam Fox definitely had been identified as a promising coach Um, I'm not sure too many would have necessarily backed him to step up as a manager certainly not a manager for a Premier League team but he was certainly identified as a promising coach within the Dundee United structure so taking the opportunity to bring him in I, I think that's quite a smart move frankly and I think it's something we need to do more of we need to start selecting our first team coaches in the same way that we go out and select our players. So it, sh- it should be dispassionate. It shouldn't just be based on, necessarily based, or 100% based, should I say, on guys that Robson and Agnew might know, which tends to so very often be the way in football uh, in football circles. So um, I'm encouraged by that move as well. I think that makes that, that makes a great deal of sense. A word, I suppose, also to, to Steve Agnew, who's, who's clearly been very helpful to Barry Robson in his time here, I, I do think again that's been that's been a smart move. It's maybe the sort of um, move that you know Robson had been thinking of making um, from his experience of being in the hot seat last time out, knew, knowing he was going to get a slightly longer run at it this time, perhaps knowing it was going to be at least a couple of games. Just a just a just a smart, wise head for for Robson to to lean on. And to help take some of the pressure off his uh, off his shoulders, rather than relying on maybe some of the junior coaches currently within the building who maybe traditionally support Barry on some of the underage teams. So I I think in short space of time, they've made some smart looking moves which have actually worked out pretty well. And given the number of decisions that this club have made in the last couple of years that have had the benefit of a lot of time and a lot of consideration that have gone to absolute shit, then it's um, it seems to be a page has turned, maybe. But I'm, I don't want to go too far. We are, as I say, still three points off the bottom six. Things could quite easily turn again. I don't feel there's that fragility about the team now. I really don't. I, I, I feel fairly confident in our ability over the next couple of games 
take the sort of points we need to keep up pressure in third. And away from Pitodre, I've not felt that all season. I've not felt that for a couple of seasons. I've not felt that for about five seasons. I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously mentioning Liam Fox there. I mean, from what you, from what I've seen on social media, I know I do. I know a couple of Dundee United fans who, um, when he got the job, they were perhaps a little surprised, but we're certainly, you know, we're you know glowing about his, his, you know, his coaching credentials. So, as you say there, as you say, Richard, it's you not know, getting these people. You know, we should be, you know, we using the fact that Aberdeen are a draw as a club to be able to get to get these guys to come here. You know, like we did, you know, we did a few seasons ago under under McInnes where he was signing he just seemed to be signing captains from clubs, you know, all over the place. And Barry Robson being I think Barry Robson was kinda of one of them as well when he bought them in. So um that's certainly something interesting. Um before we move along, um just obviously we're talking about the Hearts game there as well. Uh, I think we're gonna have to talk about about Duke yet again. Um you know we've got a there's going to be it's going to be a busy we know it's going to be a busy summer at the club um you know richard regularly posts the contract expiry graphic um and while there's a lot of um there's a lot of loan players that will be going away as well there is a lot of players out of contract uh, but the one i think pretty much all of us are, are worried about losing in the summer although he does have uh, another um um couple of years on the contract is obviously duke um firstly martin um is there any chance we're going to be able to hold on to this guy in the summer? Um, or is it that we're just going to have to enjoy it while it lasts? I'll definitely enjoy it as long as it lasts, however long that is. Um, somebody has to, or unless you know if someone's already done it, there was um, video footage at Aberdeen released when they interviewed Duke recently a few weeks ago. And somebody needs to clip that into a gif of just Duke saying Duke. I would I would use that repeatedly for weeks and weeks on end. Um, I just love the guy. He's he's clearly clearly enjoying his time at Aberdeen, which is remarkable for uh, a guy from Portugal that's having to spend his time in winter in the northeast of Scotland. But um, um, not just an incredibly talented player, but um, uh, I I I really enjoy the attitude, the work rate, and um, uh, the longer we can keep hold of them, the better. I've I've always been of the same position, and again, I've I've criticised other clubs in situations where they've looked to cash in on a player earlier, or because because they have multiple years still on their contract and they think they may get a better deal. Um, but what is Aberdeen Football Club about if it's not about trying to get as good? footballers into the club as possible and keep them for as long as is possible um folk are saying we only have two years to go in his contract but that is two years so theoretically we can keep him for another season and he would still have a year in his contract and he would still be a valuable commodity and potentially even more of a valuable commodity and um that that type of player, I, I know, I mean, I think a lot of people are rushing in saying, you know, I'm not quite ready to bestow him as, you know, the best Aberdeen player we've seen over the last 20 years, which I think some people are starting to venture in that territory. He may, he, he may, yet, he may yet reach that kind of territory, but he's in, he's, in, he's in firm cult hero status at the moment. But um, yeah, I've been critical of other clubs 
selling on their players at the first opportunity when when they could have potentially held out but i'd like to think that maybe if we have discussions with duke's agent where the ideal scenario if we could potentially get him to agree the extension to his contract in return for whether it be something in the contract says that you know again i'm not naive if a stupid amount of money gets offered for a player then there comes a point where you have to be pragmatic and say okay we'll take that money but i do wonder whether it might be able to have some kind of agreement where we say you know is it possible we can work an extension to your contract in return for potentially getting uh, a more commensurate wage with that with with the level that he's performing and and some form of either contractual and or probably a combination of contractual and gentleman's agreement that if uh, an offer comes forward that we can't refuse and, and that he would really want to go for then then we wouldn't stand in his way i think that would be a fair outcome but um certainly for next season i don't know whether we will I th- the reality may well be that a bid comes in that the club deems they, they don't want to miss out on but I would much prefer to see him playing in the team for at least another season yeah people these days do tend to be in a bit of a rush to sell these guys put a price on their heads and it's um, you know why rush it why rush it he does still have two years left in his deal we do still hold the power here as far as it goes Clearly, we get big money in the summer, offer, he's away. But, yeah, why Russia? Why, why try and inflate him or push the, push the numbers up and to talk about him going? Just enjoy him while he's here. He plays with a smile on his face and he's putting a smile on the face of every Aberdeen fan. Start next season. We could be looking at, um, you know, half a dozen, eight guaranteed games in Europe if things go well towards the end of this season. I mean, that's a great, that would be a, a, a great exposure for him and a great uh, platform for him to play on. And it's good, obviously, to have someone like that in the team and someone who's going to get guys to buy tickets to come and watch because I think he's a player that does that. But in terms of being, you know, we've heard it quoted best since Jess, or best since Heel House, these streets don't forget now McGinn and his selection of belters quite so quickly. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there, Richard, about the you know the, the possibility of being able to you know, chuck himself in the shop window with, if if we can get that guaranteed European games. I mean, um, you know, you stick you stick around and you play the games in Europe um, could be the difference between I don't know Bologna or Bristol, for example. Um, so yeah, let's hope that. Let's hope that he stays as long as he possibly can. Uh, we're going to move on now. Um, now, this this less than regular podcast has a regular feature called uh, Northern Light Moment. And this episode is no different. So we're going to hand the floor to Martin Ingram, who's going to regale us with his Northern Light Moment in memory. So I don't know if you want this to be... It's definitely going to be a memory. Um whether it's the, the, a, a moment or more than that, but what I picked was the, the Copenhagen game. Um, that holds special memories for me, given um, I think a number of people that uh, know me from my Twitter feed or otherwise uh, know I have my own Copenhagen connections. My, my wife is Danish and is originally from Copenhagen. Um, and at the time, so this was the tail end of 2007, so it also happened to be that my, my then brother-in-law-to-be 
Um, he just happened to finish uh, having studied a, a term abroad. Well, abroad for him, obviously, not for us, um, at the University of Stirling. So he finished his term at the end of the year and had basically come up to stay with us over the Christmas period before he, he was going to fly home to Denmark. Um, so I thought, well, there was a few. There was a few of us that were all going had tickets for the game already, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll buy him a ticket as well. So I, I am guilty of having smuggled a Copenhagener into the home end. So um, judge me however you wish to, on 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 that one. Um, so as far as a memory is concerned, so obviously, like in terms of the Northern Light, you could say it's the Copenhagen game. If you're more narrow, you could say it was the performance in the second half, but my specific moment would be Jamie Smith volleying us into the lead right at the beginning in the second half. And it's 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 both an enduring memory and an enduring non-memory for me because I didn't actually see the strike. Um, so this was me coming back from halftime to go and get in the halftime pies in Bovril. Um, and I thought I was going to make it back in my seat just in time for the second half. So I was, so I was in this... I, I know I normally watch games in the south stand, and we were we were quite far across. We were we were at that side of the south stand where 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 we were shooting into the Dick Donald end. Um, so I'm trying to make my way back hurriedly with my pies and Bovril because um, it was just about to kick off for the second half, and and then bizarrely um, I had to find myself negotiating the surprise appearance of Angus the Bull, who was actually in the south stand uh, at that time. So I'd, I don't remember that being a, a thing, but it, it obviously happened. You know, I'm, I'm norm normally you got their, your mascots wandering around over a touchline, but for whatever reason, he decided to be in the south stand. So I had to kind of work my way around um, the mascot to get back to my seat. Um, turned around to distribute said pies and bovrils to my brother-in-law and to my other friends. Uh, and then before I got a chance to return my attention to the action on the pitch, um, and this is what's so memorable. It's the vibe of even even though you don't see what's going on, I can see all of the South Stand suddenly getting excited and rising to their feet. Um, and I turn around to see. So I never saw the strike. I just seeing a a ball lofting its way over the goalkeeper into the back of the net. And to be perfectly honest, my instant reaction was, oh no, because in my subconscious mind, I just still remembered that was the way Copenhagen were shooting in the first half. And I thought, oh God, we're about to go behind. But the reaction of the fans, obviously, the bounce that was suddenly emerging within the south stand and all around the ground, um, a microsecond later, I, I, I got my senses together and, oh no, it's okay. <laughs> it's us. We're, we've just gone ahead. So I only saw the lofting of the ball over the goalkeeper as it as it descended into the net. It was only after after the match and I got home and I watched the highlights that I actually saw Jamie Smith strike. But what a strike it was! Put us one nil up in, in the night. And again, that 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 was the moment. The the ball going into the back of the net. The the bounce in the entire ground. And it was the kind of culmination of you know we, we we kind of thought we we hadn't had you know group stage football in 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 europe um before then and you know i think just having had the opportunity to have fixtures against panathinaikos 
Uh, I sadly didn't. I, I, there's one of the regrets that I couldn't. I couldn't persuade anyone I knew to go out to Athens with me. And I wish I just. I wish I just went ahead and did it anyway. But um, I was certainly out in, out in Madrid. And you, you think back. I mean, again, it's the kind of thing. I'm. I'm just too young to have experienced the true glory days of the 80s in 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 in, in Europe. So for our generation, and that's, I say generation, but generations, a whole group of 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 Aberdeen fans that. This was kind of the the big European adventure for us. So being at the what I dubbed the Vicente Calderwood, uh, the the Atletico Stadium, and you, you just recall back. I don't think it really impacted at the time, but um, you know Sergio Aguero was playing for Atletico in that that season. Um, uh, Locomotive Moscow at home, a one-one draw against Locomotive Moscow, and. Uh, the guy that scored the goal for them was Branislav um, Ivanovic, who ended up playing, being a major part of the Chelsea team. Um, so just even being in the group stage and being in amongst that environment was fantastic. But it was just a quirk of the way that the groups worked out that way is that three teams progressed out of five. And, and it meant that even though we'd only had one point up until that point, and I assume I wasn't the only person, I think the, 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 the way the fix was ran, there was the, the, the week where we didn't have a game and just monitoring all the scores to see whether we could still mathematically make it. And, and there was the opportunity. And I think everybody thought there was a chance that we could win, but Copenhagen still a pretty serious uh, opponent and uh, again it's one of the things we went into it with, with hope rather than expectation but um, it was one of those glorious second halves where once once we went in front um, we just completely dominated that second half. Um, Jimmy Smith got on the score sheet again, Lee Miller kind of got on the score sheet and then uh, Richard Kirster <coughs> um, rounding off the scoring um, uh, a classic Christmas fixture, a classic European fixture. Um, the first time we'd played in Europe past Christmas since the days of Fergie. And then that, that of course, set up a trip to Munich, Bayern Munich home and away again. Um, um, what a night. And then what 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 a group of events afterwards. And even though my, my now brother-in-law, in fairness, he has absolutely no interest in football whatsoever, and I think he just came along with me to humour me, um, I still took no end in uh, celebrating the, the, the result in the car journey home with him. So that's my moment. Yeah, around the same time you were turning around to watch Jamie Smith's shot entering a net, I'd probably just stop saying, Jamie, why are you shooting from there? <laughs> uh, before erupting as well um a memorable evening are you are you pro or anti vuvuzela is the question strongly anti vuvuzela but <laughs> you know if 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 the kids enjoy it then so be it um again i'm i'm now i'm now in the I, I had a different attitude than I have now. I'm now I'm now in the situation of an uncle who who takes his seven year old niece to Aberdeen FC women's games, and when they're handing out those clappers, the hand clappers, um, and I'm probably with a with an older and wiser head. I just grin and smile and bear it. But yeah, at the time, very much in the anti Vuzela brigade. But you know, if that if that was your thing, then you know, who 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 might it be your buzzkill? No, Auntie Vuvuzela, you're definitely going to fit in well around these parts. <laughs> what, what's your position on wrestling, just so we're... <laughs> I, I, I scarcely, I, I'm certainly not anti-wrestling, but I scarcely understand half of the half of the half of the memes and half of the okay. the, the jokes that okay, go on good. on that 
what what is now informally AFC Wrestling Twitter, I guess. Well, so there's quite a lot of them. Yeah, you can help keep an eye on the Twitter feed just in case he's at it again. I mean, next <laughs> next next we know he'll be setting up a Patreon account. Yeah, see, I knew I knew you wouldn't be able to let it go, Richard. Just w- one tweet and a new fine. I still have to say though, it's regardless of whether you're a wrestling fan or not. Um, I, 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 as much as anyone, um, admired Hacksaw Jim Duggan's uh, tour of Aberdeen and how much he loved the place. So you know, you can't complain with that. Well, to, well, to go on a very slight tangent, it's amazing when you see people who don't live here come here and have the best of times, but yet the people who live here just absolutely whine and despise the place. It's like maybe it should maybe it would help us to see the good in our city, but you know, that's probably a discussion for Fubar News or one of these horrific Facebook pages. I'm not sure it needs to be. I mean, I was walking through the town the other night, uh, and the sort of low winter sun was hitting the granite in all the right spots, and it just looked magnificent. Quite frankly, I mean, I wasn't walking along Union Street to be fair, which appears to be the current bet noir for people on Facebook. But um, yeah, it's it's a glorious place at times. It's well. We'll, we'll move on because something that probably won't be glorious and something that I can't believe we're doing, Richard, is we're actually going to preview an away game at St. Johnston. Um, kind of. Kind what, the, of. what the hell are we doing? Um, well, we're going to go to Perth on Saturday and it's going to be clearly a turgid, terrible game because it's always a turgid, <laughs> terrible game. And hopefully we're going to come out and talk 1-0. If it's, um, I mean, oddly enough, Perth is one of the venues we've actually had quite a lot of success the last couple of years we can't buy a win pretty much any other uh premier league ground i think there was a spell there was about a two two year spell where the only away league wins we'd had were at almondvale and at mcdermott and it was two or two or three wins at uh, each of them as well it wasn't just the one so um maybe we can we can actually make it four wins in a row which would be hasn't days haven't like this haven't been seen since uh, well Derek McInnes's time. As far as the preview goes, that's about as good as you're going to get for the St. Johnson game. I mean, Martin, um, the next three fixtures we've got are, are against sides who are currently sitting eighth, tenth, uh, and eleventh. Um, so that's you know, obviously as Richard has pointed out earlier, you know, we are only three points ahead of seventh place, and so um, let's not to, not to get too carried away from from us with ourselves, but. To have four games left um, before the split, um, obviously the, the final game is obviously at home at Rangers, but to have St Johnston, Kilmarnock and Ross County as your three your three games, uh, I don't want to get too excited, I don't want to get too carried away with myself, but it's, it's, it's achievable, isn't it? Absolutely. And if we come back full circle to how Barry Robson may or may not be judged at the end of the season, obviously the results will matter um the performances as well but these these are the matches that you you need to be taking you know if not maximum points out of you know certainly six or seven points out of um st johnston away i'm i'm about i'm as thrilled as pre at, at previewing a st johnston game as i normally am at watching one it'll be it'll be dire undoubtedly and you just kind of hope you you have a you have a Teddy Jenks or a or a Leighton Clarkson moment, and you just get that that there's probably only going to be the one goal if there's a goal at all, and you hope we get out of it. But moving on from that, Kilmarnock at home, you've got to be beating the teams that are eleventh and twelfth in the table if you have if you have seri- if you have serious aspirations to be chasing 
you know, with Hearts on their four points ahead of us right now. So if you've got serious aspirations, not just of getting into the top six, but of actually securing a good European spot. And as I say, third place these days has never been as valuable as as been as, as valuable as ever been. You you've just got to be taking care of business at home against those teams. Um and then Ross County again. Um an away fixture and this is really you know, I, I, it's it's hard to be too critical of Barry Robson, and that it seems to be it seems to be the case that it, it seems to sum up out, out, outside of the top two teams, um, an abil- an inability to win games away from home seems to be everybody's issue. Because um, um, you've been hearing a lot of Hearts fans, and they're absolutely right. Even Hearts, who are four points clear at the third, their their away form historically has been dreadful as well. So it just seems to be just seems to be the way in Scottish football that um, you you make your points at home and you and 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 you really struggle away. But that would be, um, I mean, as a minimum, you'd be hoping to get some results in all three games. Definitely beating Kilmarnock. But if you can come away with seven and ideally nine points, then you know. That will that will obviously be enough to put us in top six, but it also it's not just getting to top six. It's about it's about then providing you with a stronger platform as possible to push on to actually get that European spot and one and on that theme of home versus away records. These these are the best chances to accumulate points before the end of the season because after the split, it's 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 Celtic, it's Rangers, it's probably Hearts at Tynecastle. Um, there aren't going to be many three points coming across once we get post split so you've got to be making hay while the sun shines and it's so it's not just getting top six for me these are the points that are going to contribute to how far up the table we ultimately finish and it's i'd, I'd far rather we're getting those results against st johnson killian and ross county than having to rely upon it if we have to go you know if we have to go get them against the the, 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 the top six teams later on yeah, I think those away games in particular, St Johnston and Ross County, I think they're absolutely key to how we'll fare. I think if we get results in those, um, I think we can take that last game before the split with a degree of confidence. Ideally as well against the visiting team that will have um, any last remaining hopes of competing for the title extinguished um, in the coming, is it this weekend? I think they, they go to Parkhead. Um, so, you know, it, it, that could also be seen as a fixture that we should be looking to win as well. I mean, I know the argument is at home you should be looking to beat everybody and we, we certainly will have a fighting chance of uh, beating almost anybody at home, but I think you've also got to bring a bit of realism into the equation at times. So, it is those two away games and it's, Martin's absolutely right, none of the teams around us have been any cop away from home and that's what's allowed us really to stay in this race because the point totals for the team in third are way down than you know the, the seasons we were finishing second even fourth behind Kilmarnock under Derek McInnes way way down from the sort of points tallies that the Rangers or Hibs were getting when they were finishing third as well so it's been a little bit of luck um, that even when Hearts for example looked like they were streaking away and it, you have to remember they were 10-11 points clear just a couple of weeks ago, but in the same way, we were three points clear of them going into the winter break. So, it's there have been ups and there have been downs, and I, I still think there are some twists to come. And there is that post-split game at Tynecastle if we are both in the top six, and that could be crucial. And the more points we can take prior to then, the more 
chance you have of insulating yourself against a, a bad result there. And, you know, if we don't travel well generally, we certainly don't travel well to Tynecastle. Well, Richard, I want to congratulate you there uh, because you've you resisted the opportunity to use the Jimmy Calderwood's top six trophy um, line that I know we that we enjoy ever so much on this podcast. So well done there. Um, well, there's two, isn't there? There's that, or there's the the trophy. Obviously, if you're finishing bottom of the uh, bottom of the uh, top of the bottom six, was it the red final that christened at the Golden Turd or something? <laughs> A, a, a lot of a lot of the red final things revolved around turds, so <laughs> make of that what you will. Yeah, rather scatological, you and Chris. But <laughs> Golden turds, turdometers. Take your pick. If you if you, if you want to, if you want to bring bring it bring some lowering of the tone to this podcast, you're more than welcome. <laughs> more than welcoming me. That's that's your job, mate. <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that brings that brings the podcast an end for um, for this week. Um, want to thank Martin um, for coming on again. It's been a, it's it's always a pleasure, Martin. Looking forward to having you on more. Yeah, pleasure to be on. Looking forward to receiving my win bonus in the post. No problem. Um, and Richard, as always, it's a pleasure to speak to you. As always. So well, I can't I can't promise anything, uh, but maybe just maybe we'll be back with another episode for you next week. Um, if we are, great. If we're not, then I apologise. But more importantly than anything, simply come on you Reds. <laughs>